Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Sunday night today, debuting some new music. I like to play around uh, and try to create some new stuff every now and then. Uh, let me know if you like it. It's uh, it's kind of all over the place, but it's all good. Um, this podcast, as you know, sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. Make sure to use promo code MHS when you sign up for your chance to turn $1 into a large amount of free site credit money uh, on DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, this is going to be kind of an all-over-the-place podcast as well. Uh, have some news to go over with Will Barton declining his player option. He will test the free agent market when August 2nd comes around. That is in two weeks. Uh, Things are going to move pretty quickly over the course of this time. We have 10 days until the draft and two weeks until free agency. Things are about to move very quickly. We're covering everything over at Denver Stiffs. Make sure to go check it out. Uh, Had a roundtable up discussing the Will Barton decision. Had a newser up discussing the Will Barton decision going to continue to have other free agency content up as well as draft content. So make sure to, if you have any questions, uh, reach out to me, reach out to Brandon Ewing, who is doing a great job of captaining our draft coverage. He has been awesome. First first uh, thing that we're going to talk about here is the Will Barton player option. Second thing is we'll get into some NBA draft discussion, something brief. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about it over the course of these next this next week and a half. These next few episodes, I'm going to have another guest on for sure. And then last segment, I want to talk about uh, the NBA Finals and Game 5, which was just an epic game. And I I really enjoyed watching that. I got to sit down and watch that completely uninterrupted. It was a lot of fun. Uh, And I have some takes. And I think everybody should have some takes after that one. And the, the Milwaukee Bucks are one win away from an NBA Finals or from an NBA Championship. That's incredible. So, let's get into the Will Barton news first. Uh, This is a big deal. As everybody knows, as everybody understands, I have been talking about this for a long, long time. And been talking about the ins and outs of what it means for Will Barton to decline his player option. So everybody here should be pretty prepared, especially if you follow me on Twitter. Will Barton declines a $14.7 million player option. Uh, he is going to test the market. He is going to look for something more. Here are the updated financials for Denver. They still have to wait on Jamichael Green's $7.6, $7.7 million player option. That is going to be decided, I think, a week from Monday. So when you're probably listening to this podcast, that will be decided upon. 
Uh, right now, as it stands, assuming that he opts into that, which isn't necessarily what's going to happen, but assuming that he does, uh, Denver's projected salary sheet, as long as they draft at 26th overall, is about $113 million. They have, they're, they're basically over the cap. They don't have any salary cap room. And they still have, in this instance, three players to then sign. Uh, if Jamichael Green opts out, then they'll have a little bit over seven or a little bit under seven million dollars in cap space. But it's not a lot. You've got to use seven million to to sign four different players when, when you could just go over the cap and have the MLE. Uh, Denver's going to operate as an over the cap team unless something crazy happens and they decide to sign and trade for somebody big. Uh, but I doubt that that happens because it would take gutting their roster or trading somebody like Monte Morris, who I'm not sure that that's going to happen or if that's something that Nuggets fans should want to happen. Uh, but uh, for what it's worth, George Carl said that he wanted to see Denver move hell in high water to go get Lonzo Ball, put him next to Jamal Murray long term. And well, I think that's understandable, and I think that would be a really good move in theory. Uh, it's not perfect for one. And for two, I talked about that on Twitter this weekend. It's a, a very difficult thing to try to replace Will Barton with somebody like Lonzo Ball, who's going to be making 18 to 20 mil a year. Denver's market, if they're going to sign somebody, if they're going to try to get, if they're going to go over the cap and they're going to use the MLE, that MLE is going to be $9.5 million in the first year. Uh, it's going to be four, uh, four years, $41 million at its maximum. So Denver doesn't have a lot, of, uh, a lot of flexibility here, which is why Will Barton opting out was such a big deal. Because if he had just opted in, you've got a, pl- you've got a starting caliber shooting guard that you can just say, hey, we're going to keep you around for another year. And that's great. But... Will Barton opted out for the reason that he thinks that he could get a long-term contract with some stability in this offseason period. And I have to say I agree. Given the leverage that he has over the Nuggets, uh, they aren't just going to be able to replace him willy-nilly. Like it, It's very possible that every recommended name that I've offered on this podcast gets more money than the mid-level exception, which means that Denver they wouldn't have enough money to be able to pay such a player. So, Will Barton could hold out for a larger contract from Denver because they own his bird rights. Or he could go sign with somebody that has cap space. Or he could just take the MLE in a place where he would like to be that's different from Denver. And I I think that's more of a last resort. That's more of a Denver and Will Barton decided to go their separate ways Denver moves on, gets somebody else. Will Barton doesn't get signed by somebody with cap space, and then he settles for somebody that's a playoff contending team that can give him the full MLE. Something like that. Or maybe he gets a short-term deal with the player option in the second year, and he gets back on the market next season after he rehabs his value a little bit. Those are things that he has to think about. Those are things that, because he opted out this year, He's giving himself the flexibility to have those options. Uh, But here's why I think that Will Barton is going to get a good long-term deal. 
if you click on the list on Hoops Hype for the top 2021 NBA free agent rankings for the top players available in this offseason, Will Barton ranks 23rd. I've seen him uh, in that kind of 20 to 25 ranking most of the time. That's where his value is about. As a 30-year-old wing who's had some injury issues, I think that's fair. I don't think it's wild to say that. There are some names that I would argue over him, but uh, a lot of those guys are younger and a lot of those guys have better health. And so like like Montrez Harrell, for example, I don't think that he should have a higher value than Will Barton. But I mean, I, I didn't create the list. But of the 22 players that are above him on the list, let's just go top down and talk about who is going to stay and who's most likely to go. Kawhi Leonard, he's probably going to stay. Chris Paul, likely going to stay. Mike Conley, likely going to stay. John Collins, likely to stay. Jared Allen, likely to stay. DeMar DeRozan, I have no idea what San Antonio is going to do. That's going to be interesting. I would guess he's likely to go, so there's one. Kyle Lowry, uh, that's a good question. Probably likely to go. That's two. Lonzo Ball, likely to stay. He's restricted. Tim Hardaway Jr., likely to stay. Uh, Dallas is probably not going to recruit a big free agent, so they're probably going to sign Tim Hardaway. That would be my guess. Norman Powell, likely to stay. Spencer Dinwiddie, that's a good question. Um, Call it 50-50, so two and a half. Derek Rose, likely to stay. Duncan Robinson, likely to stay. He's restricted. Dennis Schroeder, likely to stay. Uh, The Lakers don't have a good opportunity to replace him. A good option. Rashawn Holmes, likely to stay. Victor Oladipo, likely to go. Uh, that's, That's one where I could see Miami deciding to go a different direction. Kendrick Nunn. Uh, another restricted free agent, but with Duncan Robinson there, probably likely to go. So that's four and a half. Serge Ibaka, likely to stay. Andre Drummond, likely to go, but he's a com- he's a very weird one. I I, I could see him getting the uh, minimum for some other team or uh, something weird. Montrez Harrell, likely to probably likely to go. Uh, the Lakers like to cycle through. Larry Markinen likely to stay, Bobby Portis likely to stay, uh, and Will Barton. So that is six and a half names ahead of Will Barton on players that are likely to change teams. And because of that, the teams that are going to be having a projected amount of cap space, teams like the Knicks, teams like the Mavericks, teams like, and the Mavericks could change because if they decide that they wanted to do something different, then that changes things. But teams like the Miami Heat, like they could re-sign Duncan Robinson and still have room to add Will Barton. Um, so Memphis, New York, Dallas, Miami. I think those are four teams that could all be interested in some way, shape, or form in Will Barton and could very possibly have the cap space to do it. So those are the teams that I would expect Barton to target and the teams that I would expect to target Barton. And then, on top of that, if it doesn't work out, all the other teams that have the MLE, they'd probably be interested in adding Barton too. Because he is a veteran who has shown his willingness to fit into a role, who's willing to sit down and defend, who can also score in a pinch and shoot in a pinch. And also play make it a pinch. Like, he's, he's kind of a jack-of-all-trades type on the wing, which should be good. Teams like that. 
So, I am not surprised that Will Barton opted out. I am not surprised that he is looking for a contract. Something that he could probably get. And the next question is what kind of contract that's going to be and where he's going to get it from. I think he wants, like, he would be interested in coming back to Denver. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be. But I also know that after six years, six and a half years, in a Nuggets uniform, he is probably, in my opinion, okay with a change. Players don't often stay in places for so long that they go from underrated to overrated to underrated to overrated by the fan base as often as Barton has. And he has been sort of the catch-all, the punching bag in a lot of cases. And with the Nuggets already making sure that they're going to commit to Jokic, to Murray, to Porter, to Bar- or to Gordon, they've already signed Monte Morris to, a, to an extension. Like, they may not be able to offer him the long-term contract that he wants. They may want to go more short-term with a little bit higher money. But it wouldn't surprise me if Denver was like, hey, we don't really want to go longer than two years. Like, we'd, If we're going to do a team option in year three, then we're fine with that. But it wouldn't surprise me if Denver didn't want to do that. It wouldn't surprise me if Barton wouldn't settle for anything less than three years, where he wants to get paid for a significant amount of time. I would guess that Barton would want at least a three-year contract wherever he goes. And if it's three years, and it's if it's two years, it has to have a player option in year three. So, it's going to be interesting to see how this ultimately pans out, because Denver and Will Barton should both be interested in a return. But Denver has serious financial considerations that they have to think about, that they're going to think about, and I don't know what they're going to be willing to pay and not willing to pay. Now, they don't have major tax concerns this season. That's not something they have to deal with. But it's going to change real quickly. And if Denver has Murray out for a significant period of time this year, they may not want to go over the tax this year for the sake of going over the tax if Murray is still going to be working his way back. So I'm very curious to see how this pans out. As I've discussed, I think that he can definitely ask for three years, $45 million and not be laughed away. Uh, last week, at, at the end of the week, I talked with Jeff Morton that John Hollinger basically estimated his value at about $11.5 million per season. So it's about three years, $35 million. So if he wants three years, forty-five, and Denver wants three years, thirty-five, it's possible that given that they're, they can kind of meet in the middle there, go three years, 40 million, and be relatively okay. Maybe the best way to do that is to do a de-escalating contract so that you're going about uh, 14, 13, 12 on the market for like three years, 39 million. Uh, You can do that. You can absolutely do that. Um, I am very curious to see what happens though. Uh, This is going to be a fascinating contract negotiation for Denver because this is their starting shooting guard. This is who they factored in, and given that Murray is going to be out for a significant period of time and they need to get through this year, are they going to be able to do that with whoever they bring in to replace Will Barton? 
It's a good question. Is that player going to be able to add enough offensively or frankly add enough defensively to make a difference? If they're just a guy, that could be tough. So I've noted before that players like Reggie Bullock, Josh Hart, Alex Caruso, Alec Burks, Tony Snell, and Kelly Oubre would make sense here. Uh, Reggie Bullock, he comes in at, let's see, on this ranking, this list from Hoops Hype, Reggie Bullock does not show up until... Yeah, I've got to scroll all the way down to the 40s, to the 50s, to 52. Uh, despite the fact that I thought he did a really solid job within his role for a teammate with New York, where he had to had a lot of lot of pressure on himself. So if that's a guy that Denver can get for the MLE, then maybe they could survive. Uh, somebody else like a Josh Hart, as I said, maybe makes them a little bit more well-rounded. Uh, Kelly Oubre, high profile enough that he might be priced out of where they get to go. But maybe not. Maybe his value is tanked enough that he just needs to rehab it a little bit, and Denver can help him do that. He certainly has enough scoring chops to be able to do it. He's a good enough cutter, athletic enough, can shoot well. He could do that. The only question is, would he? It's going to be fascinating. Uh, We've talked ad nauseum about it. Uh, My expectation is that Barton is probably going to leave. And it's just a a variety of factors that I think between Denver's financial concerns, between what Barton wants from the organization, what he wants from his own role, and just how happy he can be in a certain situation – it wouldn't surprise me if like a change of scenery benefited both teams. That doesn't mean that they can't have Will Barton back. That doesn't mean that I dislike Will Barton on this team. I think he would be a really solid third option while Jamal Murray worked his way back. The problem is what happens when he gets hurt again. What happens when Monte Morris is playing well enough that you got to start Monte and then you got to you move Jamal Murray to the two. And then Will Barton's looking around like, hey, I didn't sign up for a six-man role. What happens if P.J. Dozier just outplays him? What happens if you lose P.J. Dozier and you made the wrong choice and now you have Will Barton and you're paying him into his age 31, 32, and 33 seasons? There are a lot of questions about a long-term contract for Will, despite the fact that he has earned it despite the fact that he has been a great staple of what Denver has done. So it's just a very difficult negotiation that I am interested to see how Denver pans out. When we come back, NBA draft discussion. We'll talk about the draft workouts that are going on on Monday, as well as some of the other notable names that they've brought in and what's really shaping up to be an interesting draft process for Denver. We will be right back. But first... This podcast, as you know, is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, I love DraftKings. Made a lot of money on my last couple bets for DraftKings. I bet that Devin Booker would be the top scorer of the game on this last game five of the finals. Uh, Put down a solid wager and DraftKings, they boosted that odds from around plus 170 to plus 300. 
So I quadrupled my money. I was able to turn my money into a much larger amount of money. Uh, and DraftKings, they do all of those boosts all the time. Some of them you want to stay away from because they're they're they like any gambling company. They they want to uh, keep you looped in. But there are a lot of opportunities to make money on DraftKings Sportsbook, and I really enjoy their app. They have a lot of diversity there uh, with the types of bets, the types of wagers that you can make from game to game, and it's awesome. It's a lot of fun. I, I get looped into it all the time. So. If you're interested in sports betting, if you're interested in basketball betting, make sure to check tech, uh, check out DraftKings Sportsbook uh, and use promo code MHS if you're just signing up. Uh, they do a lot of those promotions, and they do a lot of them for new users as well. So make sure to check those out. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, wager paid out in site credits, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. All right, we're back. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Really enjoying all of the discussion that we've been having Uh, about the NBA draft, about free agency. This is my season. Uh, More so, like, I enjoy covering the games, and and I am very much a... You always work towards the ultimate goal of winning a title and enjoying the process while you do, if if at all possible. Uh, It got very difficult to enjoy the process uh, after Murray went down for me. But as the season has gone on, and then... As we've transitioned into the offseason, uh, GM brain comes on. You like to think about what the Nuggets could do to improve their roster on a consistent basis and uh, how that works, uh, not just from a like moves standpoint, but from a chemistry standpoint, from a uh, relationship standpoint. I think those are all very fascinating. And so the conversation around the draft Something that I've learned from this process, I think, is I think the Nuggets are just really good at drafting, and it's not just because of the player that they add, though that does mean, like, a lot of it. They do their homework. They understand, uh, just like all these other teams, that they could fail and that it's more likely than not that they do fail in terms of bringing in a player that's, like, the next great starter or the next great star. The Nuggets approach this from the situation of how can we add a player to our program, to our franchise, that is going to really help us capitalize, that we can bring out the best traits in them, and they can bring out the best traits in what the Nuggets do, and that's be resilient, that's be fighting, that's sharing the basketball, that's uh, dominating with execution. That's how the Nuggets play, and they like to add players who can help them onto that goal while also shoring up their weaknesses a little bit. And I like that standpoint. And having talked to Tim Connolly and talked to a lot of the the general Nuggets personnel, it's clear that it's in the air in Denver. Like, not all places are like what Denver can do. And they can't just manifest good draft picks like the Nuggets have on a consistent basis. The, the 
Denver Nuggets have done a great job drafting. And I can't for the life of me just believe that they're drafting good players. It's a part of the player development. It's relationships. It's everything. So that's why I'm so interested in this stuff. And that's why I take the the draft workout stuff really uh, seriously. Tomorrow, and I'm, I'm recording this Sunday night, tomorrow on Monday, Monday late morning, we are going to be talking to three different new players. Uh, Deuce McBride, who's from West Virginia and is one of my favorite players in the draft. Joshua Primo, who is the youngest player in the draft, went to Alabama, freshman of course, going to be 18 for a lot of the year. And uh, a Villanova player, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who is more of a power forward type, but is smart, high IQ. And Villanova has cranked out some incredible role players over the course of these past few years. And so it really, like this workout more than any of them, I think, really just goes to show how good Denver is at this. Because they're bringing in a lot of interesting pieces. And some of the other players that they're bringing in, like they're bringing in six total. And three of them are likely to go top 30, top 40, uh, kind of in their range. The other three, Damian Jefferson, he's a four-year shooting guard out of Creighton. He's more of a workout body than anything. But uh, one of the others is Alan Griffin, who's a junior from Syracuse. Uh, He transferred from Illinois after two years at Illinois. Illinois went on to be one of the best teams in the country. So you wonder what happens in a situation like that. And maybe Alan Griffin was kind of being blocked from his full potential because he wasn't able to really blossom in a situation where he knew guys were going to be ahead of him. And frankly, those guys turned out to be really good. Like Ayo Dosumu is on that team, that Illinois team. And we're going to talk about him at some point too. Uh, Zacchaeus Darko Kelly, who John Hollinger joked on Twitter that that has to be a made-up name. Uh, It may be Zacchaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus Darko Kelly, he's an NAIA player, uh, not a D1 player, somebody who is in the lower levels of college, but who is a two-time first-team all-NAIA player, who looks pretty good and has grown a lot in a short amount of time, dominated that league. And the Nuggets are just giving him a workout against NBA prospects to see how he fares. So it's not surprising to me that the Nuggets do as well as they do when they can get draft workouts like these. Let's circle back. Deuce McBride, West Virginia. Like I said, one of my favorite options for the Nuggets in the first round. He really just embodies who the Nuggets are in the way that he plays, in in so many of the things. Uh, First of all, he's hard-nosed. He is going to get after it. He's going to get into you. Uh, All accounts, he's a good human being, somebody who has a good head on his shoulders, did good stuff at West Virginia, definitely earned his keep there. Went into his sophomore season, and at 6'2", with a 6'9 wingspan, was one of the best defenders on ball in the country. Did just an excellent job for a West Virginia program that is touted for their defense. And he also was one of the best pull-up jump shooters in the country as a sophomore while doing that. So there is something there with Deuce McBride. 
Uh, he seems to be a player that would fit really well as a combo guard next to a player like Jamal Murray. Deuce McBride, somebody who takes on the more difficult on-ball assignments for the guards. Like if you're starting Deuce McBride and Jamal Murray and you're facing Damian Lillard, McBride is going to be on Lillard for that entire time. And it frees up Murray to do what Murray does best. I like what McBride does. He's a very athletic player, very coordinated player, handles physicality really well, which is something that I'm really looking into on this draft process. Uh, When he's driving into the lane, how comfortable are you when somebody is in your shooting space? How comfortable are you creating space, taking the shots that the defense gives you, while also being sound mechanically, sound and being fluid, and having the confidence and the efficiency to be able to knock down those shots, and he clearly does. So I am very surprised that he's not higher up most draft boards. There has been some noise about him going a little bit higher, uh, potentially in the early 20s. So if Denver can't get him, then that would be tough. It would be a big blow. Joshua Primo, as I mentioned, youngest player in the draft. When he was at Alabama, there were some other players on that roster on a really good Alabama roster, on a really good team that handled the ball and handled those responsibilities a little bit more. So Primo was more of an off-ball player. Uh, he's 6'5", six 6'9", six wingspan, very athletic, uh, slight, about 190 pounds. Uh, McBride's built a little bit more thick. Uh, but Primo, he kind of looks and plays like a Shea Gilgis-Alexander type when he's when he's going off the dribble a little bit, uh, uses his length, uses his arms, uh, isn't perfect, but he's going to be raw, and he already shoots the ball really well from the outside. And so when you have a player like that who's that young and still could be successful in that space, then there's something to be said about taking a guy like that and then seeing what you can do. Denver has gone young before. Zeke Naji and RJ Hampton were pretty young. Bull Bull was pretty young. Michael Porter wasn't young, but he was a freshman who, like, you knew what you were getting because of what he did in high school rather than what he did in college. Uh, Malik Beasley was a very young player. Jamal Murray was a very young player. Emmanuel Moutier, same thing. Nikola Jokic was 19 when they drafted him, I think. So Denver has a lot of opportunities and players that they've added where they aren't going to get the 22-year-old. Like even Tyler Lydon, I think, was like 20. So they're going to go for somebody who's probably in the 18, 19, 20-year-old range. And because of that, Primo seems like a guy that kind of rises to the list because most likely whoever they're drafting isn't going to play. So you add somebody who you think could play later and could fit a really nice skill set, and at 6'5 with a 6'9 wingspan, who can really add to the athletic profile while being an elite shooter, might not be a bad idea. So, think about that. Uh, Last one of these draft workouts for tomorrow, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. As I mentioned, Villanova player, somebody who is a smart, high-IQ defender. Uh, He's a forward, 6'9", 230. uh, Has a basically a six foot nine point seven five wingspan according to the combine measurements. So he's not going to do a lot in terms of 
blocking shots in terms of deflecting a whole bunch of passes, but he played really well as a, uh, as a smart positional defender when he was at Villanova. Also shot the ball reasonably well from the mid-range. Wasn't a great three-point shooter uh, and wasn't asked to do that a lot. So that would be my biggest concern. Can he extend that range out to three? Uh, the free throw percentage, if I recall, wasn't great. Let me just look that up real quick just to make sure that I'm not crazy. Um yeah, free throw percentage for his career, 76.8%. So it's not bad. Like, actually, it's it's really not bad. So do I think that he could be a 35 to 37% three-point shooter? Yeah. Yeah, probably at his peak. That's probably something that he would do. But he's not going to be an elite guy in all likelihood. So Denver has a choice there. He's somebody who isn't super athletic, um, who's still, like, he wasn't super old. Uh, but he was the Big East player of the year, uh, made the all-freshman team when he was there. So there is something to be said for adding somebody who's smart, who's positionally sound, and who profiles as kind of a backup four for Aaron Gordon, where Zeke Naji, maybe he plays the five, and he's more of a like a small ball five. Jeremiah Robinson Earl's more of a four, and those guys can be kind of interchangeable there. That's not something that I think I would do. But I'm not surprised that Denver is at least bringing somebody in like that. So you can test him against really good athletes like Primo and McBride and see how well he moves. See how well he holds up in one-on-ones. That would be very interesting. So the Nuggets have mostly brought in guards thus far, if you're keeping track. You've got McBride. You've got Primo. Uh, Jason Preston, Quinton Grimes, and Josh Christopher were Five or three of the other names that they brought in. They brought in big man Moses Wright from Georgia Tech. They brought, they're going to bring in Jeremiah Robinson Earl from Villanova as a kind of a stretch four. So they're kind of mostly focusing on guards right now. And they got in a really good guard workout last week. We're going to hear more about these workouts. They'll probably have another on Tuesday. They'll probably have another on Wednesday, despite the fact that they didn't last week. Uh, They're going to start ramping up a little bit and then try to get some of these done before the draft prep kind of concludes. I remember last time they were doing draft workouts, I think all the way up to a week before the draft. Uh, This is pre-COVID stuff, so we'll see what they ultimately do. But it's not surprising that they're thinking about guard uh, and maybe more wing than guard. Like if Will Barton opts out, as I mentioned in previous podcasts, conversations, previous podcasts, Jamal Murray, Monte Morris, Falco Campazzo, PJ Dozier. With Murray out, uh, you've only got three guys who are currently on the roster that are going to be playable guards. So you're going to have to either bring back some of those guys like Barton, like Austin Rivers, like Marcus Howard, Shaq Harrison, or you're going to draft somebody or you're going to bring somebody else in. So it wouldn't surprise me if they went with somebody at guard. Uh, They have to imagine that uh, Murray, Morris, and Faku is probably not viable long-term. It it would surprise me if they did that again. Like, they're going to do it again this year, in all likelihood. I would be kind of surprised 
if they brought back all three of those guys, Murray, Morris, Compazzo, uh, for the year after. Just given that they're going to have to size up to match up with some of these good teams. And that's going to mean whoever's at the backup too as well. So we're going to see. We're going to see what they do. And we're going to talk about more about the draft going forward. Like this is going to be the end of this segment, but uh, on the uh, on the website today, you're going to see Brandon Ewing's top 20 guards, his list. Uh, there are a lot of guards in this draft, and we've decided to expand that to 20. Uh, on Tuesday, you'll see my top 15 wings, and that's going to include players like Scotty Barnes and Jonathan Kaminga at the top. I'm also claiming Moses Moody for that list, but there's a, there's a significant number of names that I think people are going to be interested in hearing about. Like guys like uh, Trey Murphy, who we haven't really talked about yet on this pod that I haven't really done a ton of work on. So we're going to see what happens there. Um, And then on Wednesday, we're going to have somebody talk about the top 10 bigs and haven't decided who that is yet. We'll get somebody to do it, whether it's me, whether it's Brandon, whether it's Gage, maybe it's Tommy, I don't know, but we'll see. We'll see what ultimately happens. Um, And as I mentioned, we're going to have more draft content over the course of this next week and a half. Uh, Thursday night of next week is going to be uh, the draft, and then we'll break that down on Friday. The Wednesday before, we will be talking with somebody that's a draft expert. So keep it tuned here for the draft content. Okay, when we come back, we are going to talk about the NBA Finals in Game 5. Just wanted to wrap up with that. Just my general thoughts on whether the Bucks can become NBA champions. We'll be right back. All right, final segment here, Pickaxe and Roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you could, please leave a rating review on Apple Podcasts. That would be awesome. If you're new to the podcast, thank you for tuning in. It's been a lot of fun, and I've really enjoyed my time. Uh, even though it's solo, I've been really enjoying my my ability to communicate with the Nuggets audience here. Uh, everybody seemed, or most people seem to be enjoying it. Others seem to be uh, willingly just uh, fine with it, and that is perfectly fine. Uh, no, you guys are great, and I'm just joking. So thank you so much, everybody, for all the support. It means the world. Let's talk about the finals. Let's talk about game five. What a game, first of all. This is the second classic in a row. Uh, game four, you had the block by Giannis, uh, which really helped set up Chris Middleton and, and Giannis and doing their thing down the stretch there in game four to tie things up at two to two. And then the Bucks go on the road in game five, and they immediately get blitzed. The Suns are hitting every shot under the sun. It was looking pretty bad at the beginning, but the Bucks weathered the storm. Even without Giannis on the floor, Middleton, Holiday, all those guys really contributed and just, just were massive. Holiday in particular just really delivered. Um, and the Bucks overall in that game shot the lights out. That was something that was unexpected on the road for the Bucks was that they hadn't really traveled well all postseason. And then them being able to get that kind of stretch, that kind of shooting performance from their team, 
where they basically shot, I think it was like 55, 57% from three, but also like 60% from the field, where they were just very efficient inside the arc as well. That was a really, really big thing. Uh, And it put so much pressure on the Suns to keep up to the point where they were like Devin Booker was making some incredible shots, but he was the only one scoring in a lot of those cases. And I think it put them behind the eight ball that they didn't take enough threes in order to stick with what the Bucks were doing, which they were just killing the Suns uh, from every spot on the floor, whether it was getting free throws, whether it was behind the arc whether it was just driving to the rim and the mid-range stuff. They were great in the mid-range. Giannis, Middleton, Holiday, all included. They were very efficient, hit some incredible shots. Holiday hitting the the baseline fadeaway. Uh, Giannis hitting a couple of mid-range shots, including some off-the-dribble stuff that was really good. Stuff that he hadn't been hitting before. So really good stuff from them. All of the Bucks really delivered. Pat Conton. Four of six from three in just invaluable minutes in back-to-back games. Just really, really good stuff from him. Going to be fascinating to see whether CP3 can recover. Had what I thought was a pretty solid game uh, in this last one. 21 points, 11 assists, one turnover. But he has to be even better than that. He can't be the fourth best guard on the team or on the roster between both teams behind his own teammate and Booker, but also behind Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. They both outperformed him. And when you have Giannis on the other side, that's just a factor that the Suns can't deal with. They have to be better. Their guard, their backcourt has to be better than the Bucks' backcourt. If it's not, then the Bucks are in a really, really good spot. They're in a really good position. So, can CP3 dig deep? He's talked about having partially torn ligaments in his wrist. Uh, Suns fans are quick to point out that he can't dribble with his left hand uh, because he's so hurt. Nuggets fans are kind of just smirking because they understand that, oh man, well, now the injury bug hits them. But it did hit them. They lost Dario Sarge for the year, uh, which was devastating, by the way. Just really tough to watch a guy like that go down in the way that he did. Uh, and it turned the Bucks or the Suns' rotation, excuse me. It turned their rotation from nine to eight. And the eighth member of that was Tory Craig. They have Cam Johnson coming off the bench. They have Cam Payne coming off the bench. But other than the five starters and maybe Tory Craig, that's really it. The Bucks, for all their warts, and and there are a lot. They're playing Jeff Teague. But Teague has had a couple moments here or there where he, where he hasn't been awful. Most of the time, though, it's just been great minutes from their main three, surrounded by just enough from everybody else, whether it's P.J. Tucker, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, Pat Conson, Jeff Teague even. They've been getting enough, especially over these last three. Another question I have is, how tired is DeAndre Ayton? Because he just looks exhausted in this last game, where he has to deal with Giannis as relentlessly as he does all the time, on both ends of the floor. And Ayton 
is playing such heavy minutes because Saric isn't there. 45 minutes this last game, and I thought it was by far his worst defensive game of the playoffs. I haven't watched too much of the Suns, but Aiton has been one of those staples where he's just been a presence in the middle for the entire time that it really is noticeable when he's not on his game. The Suns look like a different team. They look like a different defense, and I thought that he he wasn't the biggest weak link, but he wasn't the strong link either, where he was imposing his will physically. So, can he get it back together on the road? That's a big question. Again, can the Bucks shoot like that again? That might just be a once-in-a-lifetime performance, uh, but if the Suns are able to recreate what they did, and Devin Booker certainly feels like he could, especially if Drew Holiday is spending most of his time guarding Chris Paul, then it is very possible that the Suns could also do what they did. But they shot 13 of 19 from three. It's over 65%. The problem is they only shot 19 threes. So they're getting to the mid-range. They're getting to kind of that short floater zone a lot of the time. And they're not really maximizing their shot profile because they aren't getting to the rim, they aren't getting to the free throw line, and they aren't getting threes. So the fact that they were still able to generate the massive offense that they could was good for those Suns. The Bucks, on the other hand, have been so vi- they've been so volatile, where this past one was really, really great, but it was basically doing the same thing that they've always done, and it just happened to work out this time, because... Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday hit their shots this time. So can that happen in game six? We'll see. I don't know where the Suns find more defense. I don't know where they turn to on their roster or whether they can. Uh, Jay Crowder wasn't great. Chris Paul was being taken advantage of in the post because he's small. Uh, it's going to be tough. If, if they're going to have to rely on Torrey Craig a ton, then that's also going to be difficult for them because they prioritize all of the spacing as much as they possibly can. So if they're relying on Torrey Craig to then hit four or five threes while also being a good defensive player out there, it's going to be a tough ask. So maybe that's what it's going to come down to. I don't know. But either way, uh, if the Bucks are able to make this work, if they are able to do this, there's going to have to be a lot of apologies being dished out because it's pretty clear that the Suns are a, they're a great team. They're at least really, really good and had the benefit of some luck on their side, but you don't get lucky like all the way to the finals. They had to do some work too, and they did to their credit. They've been solid everywhere. So if the Bucks can be the team to beat them, because of the defensive work of Drew Holiday, the mid-range mastery of Chris Middleton, and the physical dominance and basketball intuitiveness of Giannis Antetokounmpo, that is a really, really big endorsement of everybody in the Bucks organization. Uh, you have John Horst, who I believe is still their uh, player, uh, their president of basketball operations, I'm pretty sure, because he traded five first-round picks for Drew Holiday, three outright and two swaps. 
It's a great endorsement of Mike Budenholzer, who has been the punching bag for so many for so long, because he's really frozen up in a lot of situations before. Now, he's making a lot of smart decisions. One of those smart decisions is having his Bucks players make more shots, which, like, there's only so much that he can do if they aren't making shots, especially open ones that he generates for them. So that was one of the things that really plagued him in the past. It looked like it was going to plague him at various points throughout this playoffs. The Bucks all shooting well below their three-point percentages for the most part. So the fact that they're still here, they've still defended at such a, an elite level with Drew Holiday on the perimeter, Giannis in the middle, and everybody else kind of spaced out in between. It really does say a lot about what the Bucks have been able to, to accomplish in these playoffs. They faced down their own demons in Miami. They went toe-to-toe with Kevin Durant and won against a Nets team that was admittedly banged up. But they still had to win the games, and they still had to not choke. They were down 3-2 in that series, and absolutely could have choked, especially when Kevin Durant nearly hit a 3 against them that would have sent them home in Game 7. They could have fallen apart at any time. They saw Giannis go down against the Atlanta Hawks. Could have fallen apart at that time, but Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday put that team on their backs. They made it work. Brooke Lopez, too, in Game 6 of that series. And then Giannis comes back and reminds the world with his overall play, oh yeah, I'm really good too. Really, really good. He's back in the top five for sure among players in the NBA. I think there was a brief period where people were considering just pushing him out there entirely. He's back. And he's not leaving for the foreseeable future. That dude is not going anywhere. Uh, One of the faces of the NBA, Nikola Jokic is up there. Luka Doncic will still be up there. Things are turning international. It's a lot of fun to support a player that's from Greece, uh, with Jokic from Serbia, with Doncic from Slovenia. I'm really glad that the game is becoming global and that we can just celebrate these players that are coming to the NBA and doing some incredible things, and bringing joy to the entire world. It's been a lot of fun. Been on the Bucks bandwagon for sure. Uh, they deserve this. Their fans have been tortured with some of the decisions, some of the atrocities in terms of bad playoff performances from Eric Bledsoe. Really good. Really, really good to see the Bucks in this position. Now, can they finish it off? Are we going to see a classic in Game 6? I don't know. I'm hoping so. I'm hoping that we find another classic. I think that the Bucs are going to really lock down defensively, though. Uh, They have the Suns figured out to the tune that if they don't hit their tough shots, if the Suns don't hit their tough shots, and if they're just average from the three-point line, then the, the Suns could have a game where they struggle to get over 100. So, I think that the momentum may be pointing that direction. Very few teams have ever come back in the playoff series 
from losing three games in a row. Often that usually means sweep. Sometimes it means reverse sweep. Sometimes it means something like that. Uh, Wherever it usually happens, the team that loses three games in a row rarely comes back. It's happened once in 1951 and once in 1955. That is it. The Suns would have to make history in order to come back. And they have to do it on the road. They have to do it with Chris Paul a little bit hampered. uh, With DeAndre Ayton slowing down. With Devin Booker already scoring 40. But only has four potential assists. He's been one-dimensional. We'll see if they can change that. But I'm really looking forward to Game 6. It's on Tuesday. Should be fun. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate all of your love and support. We'll be back on Wednesday doing some more draft stuff, potentially reacting to if the finals champion is crowned, and we will see what happens as that day comes around. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys very soon.